0: On champions of security, I'm thrilled to speak with Vimal Atitin Rajasekharan. Vimal is a security architect who maximizes the impact of security teams by building powerful relationships with software developers. In his past, he worked as a software developer and shipped tons of products to production. Today, he's going to share the knowledge that he's gained during his journey. Vimal, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm, I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you for having me, Jacob
0: yeah, of course. and and for everyone watching, uh just so you all know, Vimmel was a developer for a long time, and when I was inter- internet stalking him, I found a way to prove it. I want to show some everybody something. So this was the very first thing Vimel ever put on Mastodon. Can everybody see what I'm sharing on my screen? So, so Vimmel's first Mastodon post of the world was "Hello World," and if that doesn't prove to you that he is a developer, <laughs> nothing will. Vimmel, <laughs> uh, B- do you mind real quick before we get into everything else? Do you mind, uh, do you mind sharing your thoughts on this? Are you still on Mastodon? Is that something you're using? Yeah.
1: So, uh, were, um, so I, I'm very active in uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So there are like a lot of things going on in Twitter rel- related to the security incidents and events and then especially there was like a changeover at the executive level it was acquired and then like a lot of things were going on so I was a little bit skeptic about the data what I'm actually posting on Twitter initially yeah. so I thought like I, I joined the train of like <laughs> moving away from uh, Twitter and then I posted hello world but I was not actually active but that was my only uh, uh, active part of just I posted, hello, but well, that's it. I, I was not active anymore. I'm, I'm still active in Twitter and LinkedIn, by the way.
0: Uh, yeah, I thought that that was hilarious. I was like, yes, <laughs> this is my guy right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, let, let's, uh, let's give everybody just some insight into your background. So you, you worked at some of the like biggest name companies I can think of, right? You were at Visa. Uh, you were at Albertsons, who's, they're now getting acquired by Kroger, I believe. Um, you know, United Airlines, and, and you were doing development work at all of those companies. Can you uh, just give us all some insight into sort of the role that security played in your daily life, um, or, or did it play a role at all?
1: Sure, yeah. So, uh, even before starting at uh... Ah, uh, visa. I was working as a web developer back in my uh, graduate program time at uh, Indiana University Bloomington. So uh, I was doing a lot of web development, uh, creating web forms and then connecting it with SharePoint and then the uh, Microsoft SQL um, Server. Um, so those kind of things I started. So that's that's one of the times when I actually started learning uh, different types of uh, uh, injection attacks, like SQL injection. And then cross-site scripting, especially I still remember the day I was actually doing my uh, development work. And then uh, there was my friend, his name is Abhinav. He was working in an organization called Digital. And then I was showing him all the different forms. And then he said like, oh, dude, this is not at all secure. And then he started breaking everything right, left. And then he started showing me like how we should be like securely developing. So that was like my first uh, uh, initial uh, eye-opening part, like, okay, development is just like writing the core and get the functionality done, but then there are a lot more nuances to it, like we need to do a secure development or else what are the various uh, implications we have, and then especially around uh, broken object level authorization and then how uh, data for a particular user should be tied to an object, so there were like a lot of eye-opening after that particular incident happened, and then later I moved to Uh, Visa. I was uh, working as an implementation consultant, implementation engineer there for a product called Visa Checkout. So the product itself is they're trying not to uh, use or they they are helping the merchants, small, medium business merchants to use something out of box so that like you no need to uh, handle a lot of uh, payment card details or payment related infrastructure you no need to own. It's just like a uh, uh, widget in your uh, uh, web application, you can just directly integrate it, and then how you can uh, have the payment channel still go through your uh, 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 e-commerce uh, website. So th- that's the idea. And then I moved to uh, Safeway. Actually, back then it was Safeway. Then it was acquired by Albertsons. Then it got acquired by Kroger. Okay. So there I joined as a Android uh, engineer, where uh, I started developing a lot of Android apps for the delivery as well as for the coupon digital coupons app uh, where th- that's the time when like privacy was like a big deal where Google started releasing several apis to uh, to make sure your uh, camera, mic locations, everything you can like uh, uh, lock it down for a particular app. So before like, that that's the time like security, privacy, and a lot of those uh, features were like given to the individual app developers. So I, I again started engaging uh, on those uh, areas as well in the security part. I also was doing a lot of uh, backend REST API developments, uh, GraphQL developments uh, during those times. And then later I moved to a a company called United Airlines, where I started again working on uh, lead Android engineer. Where I'll be, it, it's mostly like a full stack engineer, but for the mobile side. So we use a lot of serverless technologies on AWS, where Lambdas and then Step Functions and different other AWS resources we were using. Uh, again, uh, that's the first time we were migrating from on prem environment to cloud. And that's when uh, I started learning a lot of these AWS services and I started really liking how we can securely develop in cloud. That was like my uh, 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 important step or like a pivotal moment in my career where I I thought like I should start moving towards uh, cybersecurity because uh, the more uh, we get into the cybersecurity role, I thought like we can go. Uh, in all different technologies. At the same time, we can also learn different uh, uh, resources uh, in AWS. That's the way we can just explore what's going on in cloud world. Um, and I pivoted my career, and then I joined uh, PROS as a senior security developer, where I was primarily focused on a lot of SAS, DAST, and uh, uh, OS vulnerability scans, and then uh, threat modeling um, initially, and then now, uh, eventually I got promoted to a security architect and then now I have a little more um, uh, role than like what I was doing earlier
0: perfect yeah it's a, a ton of great info it's an, it's an awesome story and i guess i want to i want to dig into some different areas that you mentioned so if we go back to, to the beginning um you had mentioned when you were developing back in college um uh, doing your it was, it was your masters degree right Yes. Um, yeah. So during that time, you mentioned you learned about things like injection attacks and cross site scripting and, and broken object level authorization. And, um, you know, in, in your opinion, if like if you didn't have your friend there to explain to you that these are issues that need to be resolved, you know, when do you think would have been the next time that would have been introduced to you? Like, would that have been in your first? Uh, Post college development job, like, do you think you would have found it on your own? What, what do you think is the like an, another avenue where you would have learned about those topics?
1: Sure. Uh, so I was also taking a couple of uh, cybersecurity courses during my master's time. Okay. Maybe maybe during that time I would have picked up or. My because of my friend, I took those two courses. It it could be either of those two scenarios, or uh, definitely I think in Visa, where like uh, security is really a very important piece of the product itself, because uh, we are trying to protect the customers' uh, cardholder related information, right? Like credit card information, uh, address, a lot of PII and uh, payment related information. We are trying to uh, secure. So I, I would say like if not. Uh, in graduate time, maybe uh, at my first job, I would be uh,
0: learning it in a very hard way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, le- learning it when all of a sudden it really, really matters. Yes, agree. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. And and so when you think about your time at Visa and that checkout application, and you know you came in with some knowledge about secure development, do you feel like you ever took on a a sort of mentorship role for anybody else do you feel like you were you had knowledge that you were able to share with the team or you know what was the relationship with the other developers that you worked alongside
1: yeah so initially i was more of like in the observing mode i never got into a mentorship level role during my early careers early career time so i was more focusing on what can i learn from others what are the things which i need to learn because maybe like some of the things what I have learned in graduate and also like at the very first job, initial job maybe that's the time when I need to learn more that was my mindset back then so uh, like when I got promoted as a lead uh, developer in United Airlines that when like I started uh, educating like a lot of my team members so we have we had around 10 developers who are like uh, who, like under my umbrella meaning like I'm not managing them but then they, I'm the Technical uh, point of contact for those ten developers. Basically, when they face any kind of issues or problems, or like let's say there is some kind of an issue on the code base, or they don't know like uh, let's say to uh, properly troubleshoot some issues, or there are like some advanced issues in the functionality. That's when like they reach out to me. So that time uh, I started playing the mentorship role for a lot of the folks, and then uh, I still remember like the importance of not having secrets in the code base, like how can we enforce it? Because it's the time to time where we were doing a lot of manual checks initially, like how to do that. But then later um, we had like this uh, plugin uh, integrated into our CI CD pipeline, Team CD, so that like anyone who's going to check in their code, it gets automatically checking all those details and then see uh, if there is any secret effect fine, then it will break the bill. So, those kind of things, like uh, over the period of time, we try to automate it. But like my mentorship role to answer your question started during my uh, United Airlines uh,
0: time. Okay, nice. And and so when you think about something like that, uh, you know, the secrets discovery tool that you're that you're trying to put in your CI/CD pipeline, uh, what what was sort of the the process that you had to go through to get that implemented? You know, like obviously you're doing the manual checks there's a lot of reasons why we shouldn't be doing manual checks. Um, can you talk about whose idea it was? Did it start with your team? Did it start with a security team? Um, and, and dive a little bit more into the relationship of, of building things into the process that end up uh, causing your product to be more secure?
1: Sure. So uh, to start with, we were using a, a static analyzer tool. which just started like complaining, like uh, you should not have the secrets in the code base. And then that's how like we, basically the code which we got, uh, we started working on is a little bit legacy code as well. So there were like a lot of times where like some part of the code we we understood and we we are aware of it. But a lot of times we don't even aware of the code, which we didn't touch in like, uh, like quite some time, maybe like uh, four or five months or <laughs> We, we didn't even aware of like the functionalities around a lot of areas uh, where those things are uh, configured or there are different modules and then that module was n- not even touched in the recent path. So, so during those times, like when we see the report from uh, static uh, analyzer tool, uh, secu- uh, static application security testing SAS tool, um, then we get a report from uh, security team asking us to fix those issues because it it, it It went through the code, like the the SAS tool went through the code and it thinks like this is a vulnerability and then we need to work on it. Uh, Over the period of time, uh, we were not able to move very fast because of that. Like we were like continuously getting these kind of reports and we started working on that from time to time. So how we can fix it? Like then we as a team, we started uh, um, thinking about like various ways and then we had like a brainstorming session we also had like a, I still remember a meeting with security team. How can we avoid this? Because there was like a constant friction between the uh, release time when we want to go live versus uh, having some of the security issues getting fixed. So, uh, so we we requested the uh, security team to give us some recommendation on how we can capture these things earlier in the uh, development phase and then. Uh, they come up with like uh, configuring the uh, um, Git, Git plugin, uh, where it will start like in in the different workflow. It this is one of the workflow where any any developer, if they are creating like a pull request, then uh, first of all manually we, we can be able to review it. Like one one another person need to review and uh, provide their f- feedback, and then the second part is like it goes through the list of. Uh, Checks, uh, workflow checks, and then it break the build. So that's how the whole thing uh, uh, came into uh, the picture.
0: Perfect, yeah. And getting getting that, you know, earlier in the pipeline, making sure you get it early, and then it's automated, and that it it allows you to move faster is important. And it brings up an interesting question, which is, do you think that security is actually blocking development? uh you know in your experience in in other companies like wh- what do you think does security block feature releases does it block developers and and to what extent i guess is really what i'm curious about yeah so
1: in in my opinion i think we from the industry like we, we from the security industry we, we started improving in a lot of areas especially this one particular area in my opinion where like uh initially there were like a lot of controls were uh, managed and maintained by the security team itself, like, for example, people, process, technology, those kind of things were very close to the security team. No, 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 we own this tool. Uh, We wanted to maintain the process. We want to uh, own these kind of different access who will be uh, looking into this different uh, vulnerability reports and tools. But now we as a company, uh, organization, or we as a uh, industry, we are getting matured from where we were. And now we are like more uh, going towards shift left uh, uh, ideology, where like a lot of these tools were like uh, owned and maintained by the developer themselves, so that like they feel like oh that's it's their own tool, it's their own process, it's their own uh, 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 responsibility to actually develop a secure code. Like it's not like a one man's responsibility or one team's responsibility. It's a team sport lot and lot more people when they get access to these different tools, uh, what they will start doing is like they may even go and find out something like some new feature or some new way of doing rather than the old way of like like doing certain things. So so that's where like I'm thinking. It's more like uh, we are getting better at that. But still I see a constant friction happens between security and development for sure. It's It's not like a uh, very rousy picture right now, but we are getting there. We are we are we are understanding the pain of developers. What what also happened as part of the shift left model is we are taking everything and go and ask the developers to now fix it. Like this is your issue. There is that needs to be like a risk based approach for everything. Uh, like security team needs to understand not all vulnerabilities are exploitable. Not all vulnerabilities are going to be fixed overnight. At the same time, developers and product team needs to understand that uh, there are certain risks uh, for not fixing some of the critical and high vulnerabilities and making sure those vulnerabilities are properly evaluated. Risk-based evaluation needs to be done. Like, for example, if it's sitting on the edge or if it's deep down the stack, where exactly the exposure level is, whether the attacker needs to have the network access. So there are several things we need to Joe, it's it's kind of like a science we are we are in my opinion uh, the industry is like s- still scratching the surface we still need to go a very long way in this uh, risk evaluation process so that like developers product team like they, they they need to understand the risk actually so going 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 live and going to the product is very important no doubt about it because that's what like generating the revenue for the organization but then the customer data, the customer security, uh, the tool what we are deploying, making sure uh, it follows the GDPR compliance uh, and other regulatory bodies, and th- there are a lot of things like it's getting better and better. But at the same time, there are a lot of restrictions also there. So, uh, in 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 my opinion, we are getting better, but we are still not there. Yet. We need to come up with like a very Uh, easy and uh, risk-based approach that can be provided to the developers and the product team so that they can directly go through the risk and without this it should not go to the uh, um, product it should not go to the market so something like that it will simplify a lot of these things a lot of the technical jargons and then a lot of times what happens is like different terminologies we throw at the developers and product team they're like oh Now what? We need to implement FAF. Oh, now what? We need to implement SAS. Now what? We need to implement DAST. Like that, we we just keep on uh, uh, creating this soup of acronyms and then we are just throwing at the the product team to follow and implement it. In my opinion, that needs to change. And we need to come up with like a very easy way for the outside of cybersecurity organization to understand uh, what's going on in the cybersecurity world. And simplifying it and giving it to them should, saw a lot of this friction, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense. And you brought up a lot of things that I'd like to ask you more about. I'm going to start with one, and I'm going to go back to your saying this risk-based approach and understanding what's the exposure level of a vulnerability, what's the impact. If somebody gets to it, you brought up customer data and GDPR. And so, you know, it's kind of to put you on the spot. Like if you had, if you had to come up with one way. To, to think about risk, like if you're going to calculate it or, or measure it and you tried to fit everything into a box, you know, what, what would your approach be for that? Like, how would you, let's say you have to present it to the development team, right, or the project leader, whoever it is, you know, what what do you think your approach would be for having a uniform way to figure out what the risk of something is? Sure. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a very big uh,
1: believer of secure by design. So having the guardrails in place and then making Anyone outside of cybersecurity organization in general to to uh, make sure they are not misconfigured, they are not going to uh, even let's say we have a vulnerability. How can we mitigate it immediately? That that, that would be my initial uh, like immediate approach or the way how I'm approaching any kind of vulnerability in general. But but when it comes to uh, letting the developer know about or understand the risk, we first of all there are a lot of programs we need to create like one we need to have like security champions that is defined in in because if you see any part of in, in you, you can take any organization like like from small to big they all there, there is always a shortage of cybersecurity uh, uh uh people in that organization and then it's a very lucrative job so the people uh, switch jobs very often too and then uh the third problem what we are having also is uh, when 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 a person from company A joins company B, they they go through a lot of understanding of what we have and what we don't have. That itself is not very easily documented in a lot of uh, organizations, so it's very difficult. So in 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 my opinion, what we need to do is we need to educate and have more security champions in the organization so that like they will be our voice of the uh uh. Voice in their own organization, within their team, within their product team. So that's one part. The second part is coming to the risk part of it. We need to create like a proper framework where, uh, okay, let's say CVSS score, like uh, the the score what we have, like just based on that, if you are going to evaluate a risk, in my opinion, that won't give the context for our environment. Certain certain kind of issues may not even be vulnerable the way how we pro- develop or we deployed our code in our environment. There are multiple uh, examples we can think about. Like for example, Log4j or any any other zero day vulnerability. What we have the the particular uh, way in which we have developed will not even be impacted. For example, let's take Spring for shell. Like if you're deploying it as a VAR file, then that's a different scenario. If it, if you're deploying it as a JAR file for the Spring framework, that's a different scenario. So th- there are a lot of nuances to it. Those things are not covered. Uh, when, when a CVE is released with a score, that's not actually uh, it, it, it will not get to that level of uh, details, right? So, we as an organization, we need to come up with individual frameworks. Right now, at least, like, that's how we are handling it. So, whether is it uh, uh, exposed externally, whether is it uh, internally only, and then how it's impacting our data, our customer, our network, our deployment. It's more of, like, context-based approaches, what we are taking, rather than we are just going and saying, oh, the CVS score is, like, now let's go and fix it. Yes, of course we need to fix it, but then how long uh, uh, a developer can wait to fix it? That needs to be very clearly defined in my opinion because a lot of times when we are just boiling the ocean again and again, we will not get certain things done and security will not be taken seriously by the development team. the immediate reaction was, oh, another zero day, I need to fix this. Oh, another zero day, I need to fix that. So, instead of that, like when we go and do a risk-based approach and then come up with the SLAs for critical, high, medium, low, and then external versus internal, and then giving a very clear specifications on when we are expecting these kind of issues to be fixed, and then making sure that's communicated at the uh, executive level and get their buy-in and then getting drilled down to the to the uh, developer team. That would be like the best approach in my opinion, which will solve a lot of noise and a lot of frictions and problems as well.
0: Yeah, I that that was great. Thank you. And and to your point on like, Spring 4 Shell, for example, right? Like, are we using the specific version of Tomcat's exploitable? You know, is it like you're excited? Yeah, there's so many things where you could take this thing, it's it is very critical, right? If if it's exploitable, it's a very big deal, but then you're not even it's not deployed in the correct way and it's, you know, internal and it's not accessing sensitive data and, and all of a sudden, right? It's not such a big deal. It still is it still matters, but it doesn't matter as much, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of times what happens in the in the in the uh social media world is like we we just Got on to that like uh, oh so Spring for shell let me go and fix it oh log four J let me go and fix it. of course there are certain places where we we definitely need to be very sure log four J for instance we need to be on top of it and we need to get it fixed no doubt about it but so, a lot of times we we first need to have like a close call within security and then define those SLAs and then come up with the SLAs and then get to the development team so that like they can they can go and. Uh, allocate the correct level of resources to fix certain issues in time and then it can be fixed uh, so that like both the parties will be
0: uh, happy at the end of the day. Yeah, that, that teamwork, because every employee that you have, like they are, I mean, they're valuable, right? Every single person in the organization is very valuable. And so you don't, to your point about boiling the ocean, you don't want to waste their time on things that haven't been properly vetted or evaluated or I mean, you you need to figure out your game plan before you go to them. Um, yeah, but, exactly. And final one point on the same topic. So a lot of these things happen on a
1: Friday evening or a Friday morning. So we don't want over a weekend like everyone going through the whole drill and then f- fixing it, pushing it, and then making sure that gets fixed in our uh, uh, product pipeline. Of course, uh, we we are very sensitive on a lot of the areas, but at the same time. Our tone needs to be like, okay, how long this can wait, whether we have a mitigating controls in place, when can we plan for the remediation? So the clear articulation of those details and then getting it to the development team helps solve a lot of these problems.
0: Yeah, and you also need to tell the researchers that are announcing these vulnerabilities to do it today (laughs) instead of (laughs) Friday. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I still remember, actually, like I think uh, with OpenSSL, uh, they gave a like a head start or like they they issued the vulnerability. They said like they are going to issue on so and so date. So you guys can like pre- uh, get prepared. Like they gave the version numbers and I don't remember all the details, but they gave the version numbers, description, a little bit of details, not not expose the not. Not publish the vulnerability, but then they gave like, okay, on certain date we are going to release our vulnerability, which which is just like quite uh, important in my opinion because people can be like ready and they see they foresee what what is going to come. Of course, it's not going; it cannot be followed in all scenarios. But that was like a, in my opinion, it was very fascinating how people started thinking like how they want to you know uh, let the team know about it so that they are all prepared, very well prepared during the issue
0: of a particular vulnerability, yeah yeah rather than just dropping a bomb on everybody <laughs> saying, no oh, you had plans this weekend sorry <laughs> no you didn't <laughs> <He> except <laughs> and so while you were talking about the risk thing you brought up security champions um and i would like to hear you talk more about that what do you think the framework is for for implementing a security champions program can you talk about experiences you've had in those programs Um, And what would your advice be for anyone that's trying to get more people in the organization on board? Yeah, sure. So, in my opinion, how I see it is as a security amplifiers,
1: like, whoever the security champions who are interested, definitely in in my experience, any organization product development, if you see, uh, like, one or two folks within the team will be, like, uh, more interested in security areas. They wanted to, like, uh, even before the security teams comes in and talk about a vulnerability, they are always on top of that. They they read a lot of security uh, magazines or like security related uh, journals and uh, LinkedIn posts and then Twitter posts. And then they start sharing those details. So it, it is very fascinating the way how it's actually changing the whole whole game of the security champion itself. So uh, like the way how I would approach it is like, for for example we have like 10 products or 15 products which we are selling to our customer then we need to have like at least minimum one security champion who is actually interested and who wanted to be part of that uh, uh, program and then uh, trying to make sure like uh, they are here their voice is here they are they are making some kind of influential decision within the uh, product organization where they are like like i, I will talk about a few examples so let's say we are coming up Anytime a developer is going and picking up a story from Jira or any other ticketing system, there will be like a acceptance criteria where uh, they they need to solve certain types of issues, and then once after it is like uh, done, then the story gets accepted. So. Maybe we should start also thinking about the abuse cases, like how how that particular scenario can be used in a negative way. So some of these things, like early in the stage when these security champions are involved, or whoever wants to be playing that role, uh, if they have the voice in those things, and then they add those kind of uh, uh, abuse cases or misuse cases, if they can add it to the story, and it's. The, the earlier we detect a lot of these things, it's very easy for the, the organization to go faster in the uh, product development phase. Again, these are like different maturity levels. So the, the individual security champion person, they need to have their voice and make sure their voice are heard. At the same time, if they have these kind of ideas, let's say they are coming up with an uh, abuse case then they can actually communicate to the uh, security team as well. And then, like, there needs to be, like, a weekly meeting or a bi-weekly meeting where the security champions and the security organization product, uh, security team, they can meet and then they can talk about different ideas. Hey, I saw this one. I, I read this uh, cool idea of, like, how to use uh, abuse cases in our uh, Jira ticketing system. Then those things can be drilled down to other groups as well. It's It's more like a... Uh, team support uh, like there are different strategies uh, we can come up with but like the way how we want to roll out let's say uh, your organization is little bit uh, uh, immature in the WAF uh, area or like web application firewall but uh, where you wanted to implement the web application firewall so instead of like infrastructure team and uh, security team owning the tool and then like making a lot of decisions uh, I would rather recommend those security champions to own those tools because they know their product very well, which kind of programming languages, which kind of uh, uh, APIs, like what kind of APIs they are creating. So there are a lot of nuances to it. So the more we engage with these kind of uh, security champions from individual team, those are like our amplifiers, like they are our voice for the organization. The more we have, the better. Uh, a lot of organization also does a mistake of having one or two security champions, which they get uh, either exhausted or they cannot be uh, going and uh, every time uh, communicating all those kind of different issues to the product organization. Rather, my my approach would be like pick one person from product or one or two based on their uh, team's uh, uh, capacity and then making sure they are getting educated on different programs and different uh, initiatives the security is planning to bring up for this year and have a very clear communication meeting very often and also making sure uh, they are getting properly compensated for whatever the work they are doing, actually. Like, for example, if they are taking up uh, more roles, uh, they are, like, acknowledged very well, also uh, given, rewarded for, like, various activities they are doing within the product, out other than doing the development work. So those kind of things needs to be like properly uh, uh, planned. One, we need to select the right number of people from each team. Two, making sure they are fabricated into the infrastructure and security team. Three, making sure they get rewarded and uh, um, are very well acknowledged for the hard work, what they are doing for from the security team behalf.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's vital to have them there to empower the security team to be able to do its job right because like, yeah you need the people writing the code that are in the weeds to be making sure it's secure and, and you mentioned you know making sure they're rewarded uh you know extrinsically like validating their existence and and all of their hard work um, and, and i guess i'm curious you know what what have you seen for pushback or what do you think other organizations have seen for pushback so if the security team says hey we want to take someone from your team and have them focus on security you know there's gonna be an inherent slowdown in the amount of feature development they can do, right? Like that's, those things are, are correlated and the more time you spend on secure design, uh, obviously it's justified, but but it kind of slows down velocity, which is what a lot of teams care about. So how do you think people can navigate that hurdle if they have a, a product team or a feature um, where, where you know they're hesitant to want to let somebody be a security champion? No, that that
1: that's a great question. Actually, like a lot of teams, they wanted to protect their rock star people, like whoever right. is like more into security and who who can do this hybrid role. That the product team wants to protect them because they want them to use it in like the the velocity, as you said. Like they they wanted to use it use, uh, the particular uh, person or resource for uh making sure those uh products are added in a, in a. A uh, faster way, and then get it to the uh, market. So the, these kind of alignments, in in my opinion, needs to be done at the executive level. So instead of we at the at the implementation state or at the uh, the unification state, where we are trying to gather a lot of these people and trying to implement, rather. A lot of companies, uh, believe me, like they started having a voice, like CISO have a voice in the board of of members, and they also started talking about security in a very detailed way. They are, like right now, uh, with a lot of uh, uh, pipeline-related issues and uh, national infrastructure-related issues, whenever it came. So it is scaring a lot of uh, companies and a lot of uh, C-level executives. They started seeing the importance of why the, uh, uh security champion type of story, like security champion type of functionality is required for for each organization. The 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 part which which is like very important is let's say for example you take Uber recent incident or LastPass recent incident. It's not like you, you can put like whatever the fancy guardrails you have in the world, and then also you can put a lot of uh, emphasis on zero trust and other things. A simple. Uh, um, uh, service principal compromise in Uber created a lot of problem for them, and then a s- system DevOps person who was doing his work from a different laptop uh, created a lot of problem for LastPass. So a lot of these things are like, it, it, it's it's like security cannot protect everything. Like what's happening around the around the company, we can create a lot of guardrails, but security champion is so important. We need to get the buy-in at the executive level. Go with the facts. Make sure these are the list of issues what we are seeing in the industry. The best way to learn about security is learning from others' mistakes. Don't go and commit your own mistakes. Learn from others' mistakes. Go and see, like, how the recent incident happened. Go into the nitty-gritty details of how exactly, what is the uh, entry point for those kind of uh, uh, attacks and how it get compromised, how it got into, like, a... There are a lot of things you can learn from those um, uh, incidents which are, which are published by... Le- they're doing really good job, in my opinion. Like, they are publishing the incident details and how it's getting compromised. They are, there is an article uh, in Coinbase related to social uh, engineering type attacks. So, learning a lot of these details and then coming up with, like, a metrics for the executive team to understand hey, this is what you, you are seeing. For example, in, in my case, if I want to implement it, uh, who is my director, uh, manager? Okay, here in this case, So Let me go and talk to my uh, chief information security officer to make sure... Uh, what are the problems we have, and then uh, get their buy-in first, and then let them go and uh, have a battle with the executives if they need to, to make sure those kind of security champion programs implemented across the organization. Because a lot of times, I, I completely agree, there are scarcity of uh, uh, good people, and then they wanted to protect them, and they wanted to use them for their particular product development work or other work. So it needs to go through like a proper channel to get it uh, enforced in different areas. But I will start with my even get manager and then the manager's manager, let them go and uh, do all the fighting. And then if the idea is good, back up with the data, see what is happening in the industry, go and propose it. And uh, there are a lot of things we may not even know about it, right? So at least we tried. So that that should be our approach.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's it's great. And it brings up a really good point for people that, that are listening that maybe aren't in security yet, that are curious is one of the fun things about that field is it's very technical, right? You do have all these technical details, but it's also, it's a lot of business and you have to be able to navigate the organization chart and get people on your side or, um, get them to. Agree oh yeah. With you. And so, all the time. Yeah. And, and so it's cool because you get to be in, in both sides of things. Um Yeah. And that,
1: that, that's why that's why uh, sorry for interrupting you. Uh, that's why we need to be like influential and also like very good communication is very important. Like the good communication goes a long way, especially like when when you are able to clearly articulate, put together a deck, and then show the facts to the correct people, they will understand like why this is important. So again, going back to a lot of our zero day related issues, vulnerability related issues and also uh, related to security champions program, back it up with the data, back it up with like whatever the details you find and back it up with the industry standards, what's happening around. So that like it, it, you will get the correct buy-in and people people in that level will definitely appreciate the, all the work you are putting together so that like you are backing up with the data. And, like we are living in this data world. So people, if they see the data, definitely they will agree to the good ideas what you are bringing to the table.
0: Yeah, it's a lot harder to argue with data. Absolutely, <laughs> uh, it, it, we're starting to run low on time, and I really i I want to hear your thoughts on something. You you brought up the concept of alphabet soup earlier, uh, and you talked about security loving acronyms. and Would you mind speaking to to your thoughts on like when you try to join the security world, like what's challenging about it? You know, what are the what are the things that make it difficult to start to you know get into a security type role? Sure. Yeah. So uh, acronyms, <laughs> acronyms is like really, really annoying, especially
1: like when you get into a meeting, like people uh, who are like, um, uh, who who are in this industry for quite some time, they will start throwing different uh, terminologies. So when you are trying to, uh, trying to move to cybersecurity role, or let's say you are interested to pivot your career to cybersecurity role, my, my, uh, my, not, not exactly advice, but what I faced is, one, there were like a lot of acronyms, and the way how we think and how the security organization think is two different things. You need to acknowledge it, and it's going to take some time. You need to put effort and uh, start understanding those acronyms so that like you can be successful in the new role. That's one part. And then the second one is, there are a bunch of things like the way how security look into uh, 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 a certain issue and how we as a developer who, who will be looking into is like like so much contrast. We we how we are seeing it is like uh, okay functionality wise how we want it to go and how much amount of value we want to add. But those kind of things are not at all in the picture of cybersecurity. Like again, it's changing, but then. Protecting the environment—that's the key part here. So, so there are acronym-related things, and uh, second is like how we want to change our mindset from just developing and adding more value to the functionality and protecting it. That mental shift is very important and key, in my opinion, to to uh, pivot your career to uh, cybersecurity.
0: Okay, and and so, what do you think? As a security organization that's trying to recruit more people, um, you know, what do you think are some ways that you can ease the transition? You know, like how can you go about trying to grab employees or your developers, whoever it may be? Um, what are some strategies for that?
1: Yeah. So um, f- first thing is like uh, we need to understand people uh, uh, much better. Like the, the the way how I'm thinking is how your organization is structured whether there is a there is a possibility of you moving from product to security team is even a possibility are there any opening or how can i uh, be influential that that's the first question you need to first understand second is there like other ways of doing uh, the same role like example being a security champion would be like a first step or Uh, trying to add more value during your uh, uh, Agile methodology process where you are uh, uh, rating a ticket, uh, doing the review process, how can you embed certain security within your product team. So those kind of things you first need to understand. And then three, where you exactly want to go. Like even within security, there are different verticals there, like like, uh, uh, blue team, red team. Defenders, attackers, and then like product uh, security, infrastructure security, IT security. There are there a are broad range of categories where exactly you would like to move. That, that, that also plays a very vital role. And uh, w- what you are thinking as your career transition. Once when you do the transition, what you want to do, a lot of team uh, members like uh, whom I worked with, they don't want to give up uh, uh, the development work of course you can still continue your development work uh, even after moving to cyber security there are a lot of scripting we we do uh we are moving more towards security as code there are a lot of things around the ci cd pipeline automation where we want to do uh uh coding so there are a lot of areas where your you are, your value is going to get added and you are not going to drop any of your skills at what you have uh uh, uh acquired so did I answer your question, or
0: um, is that clear? Or yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And and I do think that's an area where I, I've seen a lot of teams moving towards. They want more of a development focus in security, right? They want things to be automated. They want they want everything to go quicker, right? Development's going quicker. Security also wants to go quicker. Um, it's yeah, it's absolutely a trend, and it's a very positive trend. Cool. And so we're we're. You know we're getting to the end here i want to give you an opportunity to, to share your thoughts so is there anything that we touched on that you either want to you know talk more about or is there anything that um obviously i want to give you the chance to make a call to action or make an announcement to the crowd too so either one of those things uh, do you want to touch on either of those sure uh the one thing i wanted to tell is like there are a lot of work already
1: being done by development team so having an empathy goes a very long way um so a lot of times, what I have seen in the industry is like uh, we, we, uh, we as a security uh, organization, or security team in a particular organization, we are not having that. So develop the empathy that goes really long way, and this is a team sport. Uh, a lot of people uh, think like security needs to be like under security, and security is the only uh, uh, team which should manage security. There is a there is a slight. Mindset shift we need to do in general with that because this is a team sport and we need more people getting uh, 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 fabricated into our process uh, that way. Like all of our tools, all of our process can be followed and spread across the organization. Um, and then third is like uh, be a little bit more uh, vocal about what you see with your uh immediate manager uh, whenever you see some problems or issues or uh, somewhere you can positively impact the organization uh, please do so uh, earlier in my career i was not uh, uh, i was a little bit frightened to talk on certain areas but now i'm trying to make sure those things are communicated in advance so that like it, it is here and then Uh, don't worry about the uh, ramifications, go and let let your data speak, Uh, make sure, back it up with your data, and uh, things can uh, positively impact for
0: you and your career. Perfect. That was, yeah, it's a great summary. Absolutely. Building that, uh, building those relationships, making sure you care about people and, and, you know, empowering them to make their voice heard. Because once again, everyone was hired for a reason, right? Like they're, they're trusted Excited. people in the company. Amazing. Well, Vimel, thank you so much for joining today. It was great speaking with you. And Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Jacob. Have a nice day. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Champions of Security. Be sure to come back next week. We're going to have another exciting guest on this very streaming platform. See you there.